Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Pure. Is there anybody here for like the first time today? You happen to show up today for the very first time? Anybody? All right. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Amen. So, wow. The Lord. God is good. So good to us. Amen. So uh, we're doing an eternal life series, and we're kind of coming to the end of it here. And I'll probably wrap up with this today. And in the month of August, we'll just see what the Lord wants to do. But I know the Lord's been talking to me that we need to deal with pride. Look at the person next to you and tell them, you're going to be all right. Everything going to be all right. <laughs> You know that pride is so dangerous because you don't know that you have it. That's what's dangerous about pride. When, when you think you don't have it, that's when there's danger. And it's pride that keeps us out of the presence. And so I, last week the Lord was just kind of nudging me about this pride stuff. Because I realize it's what caused Lucifer to fall. And so we got to watch it. And just like there's different aspects of love, the Lord's really been talking to me about gemstones lately. Um, in the priest's garments, they had these gemstones, 12 gemstones, that represent, represented the 12 tribes of Israel. But when you look at a diamond ring, it has been cut right? And so God wants to take the raw material that you are, and He wants to start making cuts. And love has many facets, right? So love is patient. That's one cut. You're at the light. You want to curse the person out. You're impatient with your children. You're impatient with your employees. You're impatient with yourself. And the Lord has to work in us patience. It's a cutting away of impatience. And when patience has been formed in you, you can now reflect the, the light of patience through you. So while you're standing in the, at the DMV in line and everybody else is losing their mind because there's only two tellers that are open, you're just standing there happy. And everybody around you is grumbling, whining, and complaining. You are reflecting the light of patience. You are not moved by anything happening in the room. And you actually have the power to turn the situation around, the, the impatience in the person next to you. Are you with me? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's another cut. It's not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Some more cuts. Love is not rude. Love doesn't keep record of wrong. Another cut. And so God wants to establish love in your breastplate over your heart where you're reflecting the love of God in all its facets. Because you are precious jewels and gems and stones that you carry. Lucifer had nine of them, but the priest had all of them. This is the gemstone stuff, the fire stones the Lord's been talking to me about. This is my personal time with the Lord, dealing with me. But there's another aspect to love that I have to work on, and that is bringing correction to people. Because love corrects those it loves. I've got the kindness down. I've got the patience down. But you've got to have the correction in love, too. That's another aspect of love that I have to work on in this season of my life. You see, so you can correct your children in love or you can correct your children in anger. You can correct your employees in love or you can correct them in anger. But when you correct people in anger, it just causes rebellion. When you correct people in love, you sit down and you explain to them, I love you. We need to work through this. 
and there's dialogue, and you talk about it, and you bring the truth of the Word of God to show them the standard God wants you to live by. Now you're teaching and you're instructing. It's not just a rebuke. Are you with me? And so there are these different things, but pride is, pride is very subtle. Pride is very dangerous. And just like love has different facets, pride has different facets. And when people get rooted and grounded in pride, it only reflects ugliness out of them. It comes to the point where arrogance is established. And when you have arrogance established, it's like the crowning to pride. And you can see an arrogant person from a mile away. So anyway, that's coming. <laughs> We've got to deal with this pride thing. Because it's going to keep us out of the presence of God. And we want you in the presence. Amen. And so we need to ask the Lord to do a work in our hearts. All right, John 10.10. 10. This is the foundation scripture that we've been using in this series. And it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Say, so the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Say, so the reason Jesus came is that we could have life. Everybody say life, and life more abundantly. And so, this is what Jesus came to give us. And so, He wants us to operate in life. Everybody wants to have a good life, right? You're going to live here maybe 100 years or 120 years. You want to enjoy your life. You don't want every day of your life to be miserable, sickness, disease, depression, anger, judgment, bitterness. Woe is me. Under the curse, things will never go right. Will I ever get ahead? That's not life. That's misery. And Jesus came to give us life, and life more abundantly, so that we could have joy and peace, that we could actually have the life of God in us, because we are children of God. And so we want to see the life of God break in us and, and flow through us. Jesus said this. He said, anyone who is hungry or anyone who is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. For out of his belly will flow rivers. Everybody say rivers of living water. So there is a river that flows from the throne of God, and it goes out into the city streets. This is a river of life. And that river of life, God wants to flow through your heart into this community around you so that everywhere you go, this resurrection life of God turns dead things back to life. But it's got to start turning the dead things in your life back to life before you get your family's dead things back to life, before we get our neighborhood's dead things back to life. But this river of life, the only thing that can stop it is your heart getting clogged. And the enemy stealing, coming to the gates and shutting the gates to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to shut the gates down so that the river of life doesn't flow through you anymore. And the place to get this living water is in the throne room. Look at the person next to you and tell them, if you want the living water to flow through you, you got to go to the source of where the living water comes from. If you don't go to the source and stay connected to the source, the river dries up. Everybody with me? John 14, 6 says, Jesus told them, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus has made a way open for us to come to the Father to drink of living water. Look at the person next to you and tell them the way has been made open for you to get living water. In Jeremiah, the Lord tells Jeremiah the people have done two things wrong. Number one, they have abandoned me. They have abandoned me, the fountain of life or the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves 
and made for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water. And what Jeremiah was, the Lord was telling Jeremiah, they have left me for false gods. And when the Lord is not number one in your life, when he does not seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, when you're not seeking to be in the presence of the king, and he's no longer your top priority to be anywhere near him, what happens is you start desiring other things instead, and there is no life in those things. The only place that you can get eternal life and living water is from the throne of God and from God himself. And Jesus died to make a way for you to come boldly into the throne room of grace to receive what you need. Are you with me? So the only thing that is keeping us out of this place is either, number one, ignorance. We don't know how to get in there. Or number two, we don't desire it at all. So that would be like you say, I am married to Christ but I desire the spirit of the world. I'm married to my wife, but I desire some other woman. That's what it is. It's adultery. And that's what God is talking about. My people leave me. They, they're with me for a season, but then they go run off with some other adulterous woman. The spirit of the world comes to seduce them. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's all the world has to offer. But every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. Amen? And so, oh, this is so good. Look at somebody and tell them you have access. You have access. And this morning, I'm going to make it so clear. One, 101. This afternoon, I'm going to make it so crystal clear how to get this living water that you won't, you won't be able to say, well, God, I didn't know. So we're going to get rid of ignorance. And then what we're going to do is you're going to have to deal with your desires. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster in here. Like, yay! Oh! Ah! Ooh. Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 14. Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell or the road to destruction is broad, and the gate is wide for the many who choose that way, who desire that way, who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only few ever find it. So we're going to help you find this road this morning because there are ways or paths that lead to life and there are ways and paths that lead to death. And so let's open our Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 24. Thank you, Lord, for revelation. Thank you, Lord, for understanding. I thank you, Lord, that as I'm teaching your word today, that it will become so clear to us the process of entering into the throne room. And Father, that you would help us remove every distraction in the heart, keeping us out of your presence. I thank you for the anointing to break every yoke. Father, I thank you that the word of truth will cut out anything. Huh, it's a sword that will destroy every planting and work of the enemy that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I thank you, Father, that your people are going to be victorious because they're going to take the seat at the right hand of the Father with all authority and power, and they are going to let the abundance of life flow through them in their personal lives, in their households, at the job place, and everywhere they go. I thank you that we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, that Christ lives on the inside of us, God. And Lord, this is not just a thing that we tag at the end in Jesus' name, but that we live in this place. Can you say amen? Look at the person next to you and tell him, don't visit the presence. Take residence in the presence. Don't just visit there on Sunday or Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Go live there. 
just decide, I'm, I'm packing my bags, I'm leaving the land of no presence, and I'm going to go live in the land of presence. I want to go live where God is. So here in the book of Exodus, obviously Moses had delivered the people out of Israel, I mean out of Egypt, Israel out of Egypt, and he's brought them into the mountain areas, the wilderness. And in Exodus chapter 24, the Lord instructed Moses, come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab. Yo, Nadab, bring Nadab. <laughs> Abihu, yo, Abihu. Man, what are these names? And the 70, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance, but only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. Look at the person next to you and say, the Lord has to call you to be in His presence. He has to invite you in there. You can't just roll up in there. You've got to get invited in. It says, and only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations that the Lord had given him. And all the people answered with one voice, We will do everything the Lord has commanded us. When Moses, then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. And early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. Everybody say, build an altar. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and sacrifice bulls and peace offerings to the Lord, say spiritual sacrifices. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins, and the other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. That has to be your attitude, that you're ready to do the will of God, that you're ready to obey the commands of God. You have to be fully submitted and surrendered to the authority of the Word of God. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people. I'm glad I wasn't a priest in those days. Declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord God has made with you in giving you these instructions. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, I don't even know if I'm saying him right, but anyway, climbed up the mountain. When you don't know if you're saying something right, just say it with confidence, and people will think you know what you're talking about. Aaron. <clears throat> No, it's Aaron. <laughs> Aaron. All right, let's get back here. <clears throat> then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. Now watch this. There they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet... There seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis, whatever that gem is, lazuli. Yeah, okay. As clear as the sky itself. And, through the, and though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in the Lord's presence. So these guys climbed the mountain and suddenly they crossed out of the natural into the kingdom. And now they're on the throne room, they're by the throne room floor, and they're having a covenant meal. God had a meal in heaven to feed them. There's a marriage feast that we're going to go have in heaven. This is old covenant, guys. If this was old covenant, imagine what we have now in the new covenant. Okay. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so that you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. 
Does that sound familiar? Psalm 24, who may climb the mountain of God? Those with clean hands and pure hearts who do not worship idols or, and never tell lies. And Moses told the elders, stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. Then Moses climbed up the mountain even higher, and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called Moses from the inside of the cloud. Now imagine this. Okay, I'm going to read the rest of it. But God says, come up to the mountain. I, got, I want to talk to you. I've got some tablets of stone that I want to give you. Right? They climb up the mountain with 70 of the elders. They get halfway up the mountain, and suddenly they're in the kingdom. They step into heaven. They step out of the natural into the spirit and start having an encounter with God, and they're eating a heavenly meal sitting right there. Then suddenly God says, the rest of you stay right here. Moses, you come up higher. Moses comes up higher, and he waits for the Lord seven days. A whole week. Imagine waiting on a mountain for a week. No food. No water. Waiting for the Lord to say, come higher. Look at somebody and tell them, you have to wait. Wait on the Lord. You've got to wait for him to draw you in. Got to wait for him to give you access. You go to the doctor's office, you sit there and you wait. But what do you do while you're waiting? You wait. You can be irritated while you're waiting. And I always think, man, I'm going to charge the doctor for my time that he's wasting with me waiting for him. My time is valuable too. But then you realize you have a problem with something in your body that he can, is the only one that can fix. And if I don't see the doctor, my issue isn't going to get dealt with. So we're willing to wait in the doctor's office for medication, but are we willing to wait in the presence of God to get healed? On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from the inside, inside the cloud, and to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, and the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. And then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up in the mountain, and he remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So seven days waiting. Then he gets called up, and he's up there for another 40 days. And God sustained his health. God gave him drink. God gave him food. God gave him supernatural fresh manna from heaven to sustain his physical body. You think you need food. No, you just need the glory of God. You think food gives you strength? There is a strength that comes from the power of the Holy Ghost. Supernatural strength, when it infuses your spirit, it'll quicken your mortal body and energize you to do the work God has given you to do. You don't need a vacation. You need some time in the presence. Amen. You need a, you need a vacation from the island of sin and death. From the island of the flesh. From living in the, under the spirit of the world being seduced by all the entertainment and everything the world has to offer. And you need to separate yourself from that stuff and go wait on the Lord and press in until you have encounters with the king. It's all according to your desire, but I want you to know you have access. Look at the person next to you and tell him you have access. Find somebody else and look at him and tell him you have access. Find somebody else and tell him you have access. Say, Jesus is the way. If you've got Jesus, you got access. We got the power. Okay, baby. So we see there's an altar of sacrifice. That altar of sacrifice is about you laying down the flesh. You see, you're not going to climb the mountain. You've got to come to the altar of sacrifice first, 
and you've got to put your flesh on the altar and say, you know what, it's not about what's going to give me pleasure and what I want. I'm going to put that aside, and I'm going to start pressing into the Lord. If you're not willing to put your flesh on the altar and be a living sacrifice, forget about climbing the mountain, forget about everything else. And the question is, does your flesh rule your spirit or does your spirit rule your flesh? Are you led by your feelings? Are you led by your emotions? Is your will not submitted to God? It's just my will, not your will be done. That's what that altar is all about. It's about laying down yourself, your wants, your desires, your complaints, your pride. It has to die on that altar before you're going to move anywhere. You have to be a fully surrendered vessel. And I get an amen. Then you've got to present burnt offerings and peace offerings. You've got to bring the Lord thanksgiving. Psalm 100 says you enter His gates with thanksgiving. You're not coming any further until you get thankful. Because whining, complaining people do not come into the presence of God. So you, all the stuff you have about your kids and your spouse, forget about it. It's not going to get fixed whining to God. You're meditating on destruction. I know I'm talking to us this morning. I'm trying to help you find the path to life. Because there's many traps that will pull you down, distractions where you don't enter into the place where you have these encounters and where God drops stuff into your spirit. Where you are transformed and changed into His image. Then there's the book of the covenant of the law. Do you know the word of God? What is the law that we have? The royal law of the kingdom is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, and love yourself. And so at that altar, you got to make sure that you are operating in the royal law. Do you love? Are you patient, kind? All the things I spoke about earlier. Are you on the foundation of love? And if you have record of wrong towards somebody, you've got to go and erase that record of wrong. Because the Bible says, it makes it very clear in uh, Matthew 16, 14 through 15. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. So unforgiveness towards other people is a blockage for you to enter into the presence of the Lord. It's a major blockage. Matthew 15, 8 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship is a farce. So is your worship genuine? Is it according to the pattern that God has laid out, or you're making your own pattern for worship? I, I remember a guy by the, na by the name of uh, Cain and Abel. Cain came up with his own sacrifice and pattern of worship, and God did not accept it. But Abel, he did what was required by the Lord, and he was blessed of the Lord. And Cain was wondering, why do you not accept my worship? Because it's not what God required. And so if we're going to give God what God wants... We will be approved of. But if we're not going to give God what He wants, then it ain't going to work. And so if you'll just follow the instructions, look at the person next to you and say, don't be hard-headed. Follow the instructions. Don't make up your own instructions. Do what the Lord wants you to do, and you'll be blessed. That's pride. Look at somebody and say, pride. I'm going to do my own form of worship here. That's pride. Just humble yourself and do what God wants. Come up with your own fancy form of worship. It's fancy. I worship like this. It doesn't get you any results. What else, what else do we have with our covenant? We have communion. God has given us elements 
to remind us of the covenant that we have with him. The old covenant, they had to sacrifice animals. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In the new covenant, Jesus, our high priest, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, shed his pure blood. And that pure blood didn't just cover our sin, it cleansed us from sin. Once and for all time. Not something you have to do year after year after year. But what you have to understand is your spirit is holy, your spirit is pure, and you have access into the presence of God, but your soul begins to get filled with blockages. And when your soul now has judgment against somebody, it is a blockage. That's why you have a covenant where you can come before God and get that blockage cleansed. Because if you're sin conscious, you cannot enter into the presence. Look at the person next to you and say, if you are sin conscious... If you are self-conscious, you're not coming into the presence of God. And if you try to force your way into the presence with your flesh, I'm going to praise as hard as I possibly can till I'm sweating. It's not going to get you in. You can't manipulate God. God, why do you do it for Pastor Nick, but you don't do it for me, huh? You're not manipulating God into his presence to get in there. You don't rock up to the gates of heaven and say, yeah, I know jujitsu," And then try to kick heaven's gates down. You're fighting in the flesh to try and step into something in the spirit, and it doesn't work. And you've got to get out of reasoning. Grab your head and say you've got to shut reasoning down. When you are reasoning in your head, you are struggling in the flesh. You're not getting into God's presence when you're all up in your head. You've got to shut the mind down. The mind is enmity against the spirit. The mind is going to keep you blocked. You have to shut the head down. And we're going to get into some practical things in a minute. But you've got to shut the brain down. Got to get rid of all the reasoning, all the wondering, how, trying to, this is how God's going to do it, coming up with all how God's going to, get out of your head. Look at somebody tell them, get out of your head. And so what you got is you've got covenant elements, and it's the blood of Jesus that gives you access. But you've got to take a look at your heart. You've got to examine your own heart. And if your own heart condemns you, then what you have to do is you have to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. And once you are forgiven and you've repented, the blood will wash you and the blood will cleanse you. You can do this in the privacy of your own home. You have a relationship with the Lord, and you have access into, the God's, pre- into God's presence, and God has given you all the tools that you need. You just under- need to understand how to use those tools to make it work for you. Everybody with me? And so let's go to the book of Hebrews 9. Might read 9 and 10. So it says, Hebrews 9, verse 1, it says, That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. And there were two rooms in that tabernacle. So God instructs Moses. I didn't read it all in Exodus because it was so long. But you can read Exodus 24 to like 36. And God starts telling Moses that he needs to make all these different things for the temple. Right? And so on the outside of the temple, there's this altar, the altar of sacrifice. And then as you move from the altar of sacrifice into another room, there are these different utensils or different things that are in this tent or this house of worship. And there were two rooms in the tabernacle. In the first room, there was a lampstand. Everybody say lampstand. A table and a sacred loaves of bread on this table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was a second room called the Most Holy Place. Everybody say Most Holy Place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, a Aaron staff, that sprouted leaves, the stone tablets of the covenant, 
And above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. So let's explain them a little bit in detail. So what happens is once you come to the place, this is the altar on the outside. There is the second room, which is called the holy place. And then there is a third room called the holy of holies or the most holy place. And there is a process of coming into the holy of holies. Look at the person next to you and say, there is an entrance. There is a way to life. To God who is the source of life. But the first step for you is you have to come to this altar of sacrifice. And you've got to deal with things here. Now there's three places that you live. You either live here where you sin. And then come on Sunday and say, God, forgive me. And then you go back out into the world and you sin some more. And you come back in and say, oh, Jesus, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. And then you go back out, and then you come back, and it's like, oh, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. You can live in this cycle. Monday through Saturday, you're just living in your flesh, and then Sunday morning, you come here, and you have to repent. But you can pass this place. You don't have to take residence here. You can overcome this through the blood of Jesus and through the grace of the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? Uh, there's this one pastor that made this statement. I love this statement. And he said, if you're waiting to die to be set free from sin, then death is your Savior, not Jesus. And I want you to know Jesus has the power to deliver you from sin. And when you get the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, you get the grace of God to live above the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Everybody with me? And so even if you're struggling in your flesh, Right? You're struggling with sin. How do I break free from my sin? i got to get into His presence because this is where I'm transformed. And so most people get stuck here, and they don't know how to break through to get to this place where God delivers them, sets them free, transforms them on the inside. And I want you to know you have access to this place the day that you accept Jesus into your life. Look at the person next to you. And tell him the day you accept Jesus, you have access into the presence of the Father. So it doesn't matter how bad you've sinned, you have access. It doesn't matter the struggles that you have going on in your life, the stuff that you're trying to get rid of. You can come to me and ask me to help you pray and whatever the case may be. But if I can get you over here to God, God will break that off you and take it out of your life and you'll never deal with it again. Jesus is your Savior. I'm simply here to lead you to God. I can't heal you. I can't fix you. I might get a word of knowledge. I might get a word of wisdom. I might have the gift of the Spirit operate through me. But you can come to God at any time. I might, I might not be available when you need it, but God's available 24-7. Can I get an amen? And I'm limited in what I can do for you. All I can do to you is say, you've got to go to God. He's El Shaddai. He's the one that provides. He's your provider. You need money? Go to God. Why do you go to the bank? Why do you go to your parents? Why do you go ask everybody else? Have you been to the presence of the Lord and spoken to the Lord and saying, you are my source? I'm not going anywhere else. You are the source for provision for my life, and I'm coming to you. I need healing. Well, there's the doctor. There's Walgreens. There's this. There's that guy. There's the health guy. There's all these other things. These are these herbal supplements you can get from the Druid, whatever the case may be. But have you made the decision that I'm going to press through all this other stuff, all these other distractions, and come and visit the healer who has the power to replace body parts? And so you've got to press through all of the stuff keeping you out. Because if you can just touch the hem of his garment, you'll be made whole. You've got to press through the crowd. You've got to press through the noise. You've got 12 years you've been dealing with the affliction, and there's been no, nobody to help you, no doctor. You've wasted all your money. You can't get breakthrough, but guess what? One touch. Just one touch of His glory. And so what you have to do is come to this altar, and you have to forgive, 
You have to let go. You have to deal with all the stuff in the flesh right here. And you know what? You got to take your watch off and say, you know what? This might take a minute. Especially in the beginning. In the beginning, while you're living here, growing spiritually in your relationship with God, it's hard to access that place because of all the resistance you have against you. But as you grow spiritually and as you develop understanding and you deal with all this stuff in your life, you come to a place where your heart is pure, that you don't have to sit here anymore. I don't live there. I don't wake up every day and say, God, oh, please forgive me. I just cussed my wife out. I just beat the dog. I just stole from the grocery store. I got high on the way to work. I'm done with it. There's no condemnation. I don't have the enemy sitting on my shoulder telling me you're evil, you're bad, God hates you, you don't deserve God's goodness. I don't have that anymore. Those who are in Christ Jesus are free from condemnation. And there comes a point where you discipline your life, where God breaks you through, where you don't have to spend much time here. I don't have ought in my heart. I don't have bitterness in my heart. I don't have judgment in my heart. Why? Because I've got the love of God in my heart. I am patient. I'm kind. I'm not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. I don't keep record of wrong. I have applied these disciplines in my life. They are part of who I am. But it takes work to develop spiritually. You've got to train yourself spiritually to get to this place where you live here. Amen? So you've got to deal with this stuff at the altar. Then you move into this next room. This next place is you've got brand new disciplines. You're not living in the flesh anymore. You're not practicing sin anymore. You've got new practices. Look at the person next to you say, you've got to come up with some new practices. Things that are holy. And so in this room, you have the bread, which represents the Word of God. You have a candle in this room with the light. So what you have is you have the Word of God and you've got revelation. That's where you have to start pressing in to study the Word of God. Listen, you want to be strong in the Spirit? You've got to go and get in the Word of God. You can't be in entertainment realm, watching TikTok, right? Just partying all the time, doing whatever you want to do and think you're going to be spiritually strong to overcome condemnation, fear, guilt, shame, depression. These are enemies that have come to steal, kill, and destroy. And you've got to realize that's the enemy stealing from your life. Satan caused man and woman in the garden to be deceived, to be put out of God's presence. Because he knew that when he rebelled against God the Father, he was kicked out of heaven. So what did he do? He went to God's creation and did the same thing. He deceived them so that they would rebel to get the same punishment he got. He knew what he was doing. And the enemy wants to deceive you to keep you out of the presence because if you ever get here, oh my goodness. If you ever take residence here, then you are under the shadow of the Almighty. You abiding under His wings. Pestilence, plague, and no disaster will touch you. The enemy can't even find you because he can't come into that place. It is a secret place that you have with the Lord. But it's about where you live on the inside, family. In this second room here, you've got to press into the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God day and night. You've got to have scriptures that you write out, that you're confessing, that you're declaring. You're saying, God, teach me your Word. Holy Spirit, show me. Give me revelation. You've got the seven spirits of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of, counsel, uh, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. You have the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. These are the seven lamps burning before the throne of God that want to bring revelation and full counsel into your life. But if you're not getting into the Word of God, you're not going to get any revelation from the Word of God. And I tell you, when the light of God shines in you and you get revelation, guess what? Thanksgiving. The altar of incense. Now incense rises. Prayer and thanksgiving and worship to God because God just showed you something that just blew your mind. Are you with me? And now you come from this place where you're meditating in the Word, studying the Word of God. God's teaching you things, showing you things. You start praying, and you start worshiping, and you start praising, and you start giving thanks to God. This is your private time with the Lord. These are offerings of thanksgiving. You're putting on the garment of praise. But if you don't get thankful, praise will never break out of your heart. 
And this is this cloud. This, you walk through into another place now where you've come, to the, you've come through the Word, you've dealt with the things in the flesh, and you come into a place where you enter into the presence of God. We started entering into the presence, those of you there, some of you. Others were on the outside looking in, wondering, hey, what are these crazy people doing? Some of you really wanted to have that, but you don't know how to get it. I'm showing you how to get it, guys. I'm showing you what you have to do practically. Here in this place, let me tell you what I had to do in the beginning stages. I had so much running through my mind that I would have to have a notepad with all the things that I would have to do. And I would have to write down a list of all my chores, all my jobs, all my responsibilities, everything that I'd left undone, and put it to the side and say, you know what, I'll deal with that later. But if you don't get it out of your head onto paper, it'll just run around your mind. And before you know it, one hour is gone, and you know what, I didn't get anywhere with God. Who's with me? You understand what I'm talking about? This has to be practical. This has to be real, and I need to show you how it works. So you've got you to create some new disciplines in your life, meditating on the Word of God, worshiping the Lord, praying, seeking the Lord, getting a hunger for the things of God, asking God to teach you, asking God to show you. And as you practice this, you move out of this place of sinning, and now you move to a place where you're in this cycle. Reading, pressing into the Word of God, worshiping, prayer. This becomes your new life. You become a house of worship. You become a house of the Lord where there's prayer and spiritual sacrifices and psalms and hymns, making melody in your heart unto the Lord. The Word of the Lord has been written on the tablet of your heart. The walls in your heart are inscribed with the promises of God and the laws that God has. And when you come into this other place, you have the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God. You have the blood on the mercy seat where God's not going to kill you. There is mercy for you to come into His presence. This is the place where God rests where He wants to speak to you now. See, when you come into this third room, you're usually undone by the presence of God, and now you've got nothing more to say. You are now silent. Be still and know God. And it's in this place where you have manna. Everybody say manna. You have the Ten Commandments, the Covenant Stones, and you have the Rod of Aaron. What does that represent? That represents that God will write His laws on the tablet of your heart, right? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that God will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a, a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Amen. And so God wants to come and write things on the tablet of your heart, not on tablets of stone. It's not rules and regulations on the outside that we have to follow. It's stuff that God writes on the inside where it happens naturally. It comes out of the inside of you. God gives you the grace to obey Him. Can I get an amen? God gives you the grace no longer to sin. All it takes is the key. The, I've had moments with the Lord where He, I've had personal deliverance sessions with the Lord. I had an encounter with the Lord one day where I came into the presence of God and a three, uh, a 180 degree screen popped up around me. And the Lord took video clips of my life and he pulled it out. Zoop, and he said, this is what you look like from my perspective. And the Lord began to show me the pride in my heart. The Lord began to show me you don't really love people. The Lord shows me you favor certain people over others. Do you know what it is to be rebuked by the Lord like that? Where the Lord takes video clips of your life of how you've done things and he exposes the attitudes and the motives of your heart? You are shaking under the power of God, fear and trembling, but the mercy of God is there to deliver you and set you free. And that's what we need, family. You can't get transformed in your own strength. You get transformed when you look into the glory. And so the rod of the, the fresh manna is assignments God's going to give you. What are those assignments? Those are keys to the kingdom 
God gives you an assignment, and when He gives you an assignment, He gives you a rod of authority to go and execute judgment. The Lord gave us assignments. We have rods of authority to do what we're doing. We didn't just get a microphone and say, you know what? I hate you, pastor. I'm done with your ministry. We're going to do our own ministry. Us the lasagna. See you later, baby. Come on. We're going to go be pastors. We're going to go start our own ministry. We're going to do this for Jesus. No. Get away from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know who you are. See, this is the place where you come to know God intimately and personally. And from this place, God gives you assignments. Jesus spent his time on the mountain. Jesus spent his time away from everybody else. And in that place of God's presence, he was given his assignments. He was up praying all night, and the next day he chose 12 disciples. He said, I saw you, Philip. You were underneath the tree before I found you. Or one of those dudes. Right? Oh, you must be the Messiah. And he says, oh, you think that's impressive? Wait till you see the stairway to heaven open up because I'm the gateway to heaven. And family, there's a place that God wants you to live where you're getting fresh manna from the presence of God. There's a place that God wants you to be where God is dealing with you. And if you will not discipline yourself and say, I'm running into the light so that God can expose darkness, you can spend 50 years in church and your life never be transformed. And you have to start developing this process of pressing into the presence and getting every distraction out of the way. One of the biggest issues that I've had to deal with in this process of reading the Bible, praise, worship, and da-da-da, and coming into this place of the presence is my mind tells me you're wasting your time. Moses waited seven days. And you have to actually press through that time of waiting until the Lord comes. But I'm telling you right now, if you will wait it out, and you will get all the restlessness out of your flesh, and you begin to fast and pray and press in and seek, you can come to the place where stepping into this is like all the time, where you just close your eyes and you can step into the presence. And this is a walk with the Lord that you develop that grows stronger and stronger and becomes easier and easier, and you draw closer and closer to God. Look at the person next to you and tell them you have access into God's presence. I'm going to close with a story. <clears throat> I, was, I woke up this morning thinking about the story, and uh, I just want to share it because it's fun. So, this is a story of how Misty and I got married. <clears throat> I moved from South Africa to America. I was here for a year. I was living at my pastor's house, and I was serving wholeheartedly. Um, and Misty and I, we, we liked each other. We spent a lot of time together. We did a lot of ministry stuff together. And... We would go out soul winning. We would go and set up on Saturdays to get ready for Sunday mornings to do kids ministry together and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't sure about marriage. I had some doubts in my heart about marriage. You know, when your parents have a rocky relationship, you like wonder, you know, do I want to get married? Am I ready to get married? Is this the right person? Uh, do I want to be tied down for the rest of my life? You know, all those thoughts. It's a big decision. Especially when you're serving God, because you know that when you tie the knot, this is a covenant until death do us part. And I say this, the closest thing to heaven and hell on earth is your marriage. It's either good or it's bad. And so, Misty and I, we were having a conversation. It was uh, evening somewhere around November. We're having a conversation and we had one of those, you know, those phones with a long thing, you know, the big, the boop, boop, boop number phones. Yeah, I had a big phone. And um, iPhone wasn't out yet. And uh, it was cordless, so that was a big thing. To have a cordless phone detached from the wire, that's huge. And so anyway, I'm on this phone, and I have this conversation with her. It's around 9.30 at night. I say goodnight, and I turn the phone off. And the minute I turn the phone off and put it down beside me, there's a scroll. I have an open vision. And a scroll appears in front of me, like literally right here in midair. 
and it unrolls, and I see all this writing written on it in a language I don't understand. The scroll rolls up and disappears, and instantly I know God has a plan for me and Misty and a work that he has us to do together. Instantly I know she's my wife. So I picked up the phone. I dialed her number, and I said, we're getting married. She said, okay. What a proposal. I don't have a car. I don't have a house. I don't have any money. I've got maybe $125, I think. I'm not earning enough money monthly to support us or to sustain us, but God said, that's your wife. So what do you do? Do you go into reason? Well, God, I don't have a house. I don't have a car. Uh, No, 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 no. It's impossible, Jesus. And so what happened was that weekend was Thanksgiving weekend, and we decided we are going to tell the family we're getting married. So we go up there. Misty started sharing with her mom and dad in the car. James and Brenda were here a couple of weeks ago. I think he alluded to the story. And uh, we said, you know, we're going to get married on Monday. We're going to get our marriage license at the court. And my father-in-law thought that was pretty funny. He's like, oh, yeah. And Brenda's like all excited. Oh, I'm so excited. So anyway, that Sunday morning, now I need a wedding ring. It would make sense. If you're going to get married, you're going to need a wedding ring, right? That Sunday morning, we come back, I'm in church, I'm standing at the altar, and I'm worshiping, and I got my eyes closed, and I'm worshiping the Lord, and I see heaven open. You know the Bible talks about, and I will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. Well, I'm closing my eyes, and it's dark, and suddenly I see this darkness split open, and light come out of heaven, and a ring falls out of the spirit realm. Look at somebody and tell them there are storehouses in heaven with provision for the assignments God has for you. See, where God guides, He provides. That's what it means. If God called you to do something, He's going to make the provision available for it. But God was giving me a practical example of how I could tap into heaven to draw resource for what He'd called me to do. And so I see this ring. I got my eyes closed. I'm worshiping probably some Hillsong song back in those days. And this ring drops out of heaven And when it hit my heart, it's like it fell in there. Like I literally felt the substance of faith fall in my heart. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I had a ring for her. But I had no money in my bank account. And my heart's desire was a 1.2 carat diamond. That's what I wanted. That Sunday morning, we had some brand new people show up at the church that had never been there before. And it was my job to talk to all the new people and just meet them and find out their life and get their contact information, etc. And this couple says to me, well, I asked them, what do you guys do? We're in, we're in the jewelry business. I said, oh, really? Well, we're getting married and I need a diamond ring. So the guy says, well, why don't you just come to the store on Tuesday and we'll see what we got. After service that day, people found out that we were going to get married One lady walked up to me and handed me a check for $500, and she said to me, six months ago, the Lord told me to get this ready for you for the day that you decide to get married. So God has already got people set up to bless you for the moment that the Lord speaks to you. Talk about God making a way. I think... I think after, you know, all the money that I racked up over those days, I had like $3,000 that the Lord had given me. And this guy gave me a deal at the, at the thing, and I bought this 1.2 carat diamond ring. I had it in my hand on Tuesday morning. I had just enough money to get myself a wedding band and some roses. And that Thursday evening, we were getting married in her mother and father's house. I still didn't have a house. I still didn't have a car. But then her mom and dad said, why don't you come live here with us? They have a five-bedroom home. It was just them in the house. And so I moved in with them. Amen? And so God made a way. Here's the thing. When God speaks, you need to obey. Don't get into your head. Don't get into reasoning. When you have these encounters with God in His presence, and He puts His manner fresh manner, His Word in your heart. He gives you authority. 
And if God says, I'm, that's your wife, then God has got the provision for your whole life. Misty and I have not lacked one thing our entire marriage. Nothing. And every season we have increased and increased and increased. Why? Because what we're doing is the assignment God has given us. We didn't decide to start a church. We got the assignment from this place. We didn't start a youth development center because we think, oh, the youth are troubled and we need to help them. No, God gave us authority and an assignment to do it. God said, this property you're moving from renting to owning. The reason this property is in our hands, it's 18 acres, is because God released it to us. That seven acres next door, when that comes into our hands, it's because God's going to release it to us. Are you with me? So I want you to understand that as the Lord speaks to you, if you'll just obey Him, you are now living according to the will of the Father, and your prayer life changes. My prayer life, Missy and I, I'll tell you another story just to wrap it up. Because this is important for you to understand. The enemy does not want us married. He wants to do everything in his power to divide us. Because he knows if he can separate us, then everything we've built will crumble. It'll get limp. It'll get lame. It'll start falling apart. So I went with Elsabi, my spiritual mom. We went to Kenya to do a crusade back in 2000 and who knows what. 11, 12, somewhere around there, 13. And I, we do this crusade. We shut a whole town down. 5,000 people come out to the crusade. People are getting saved. We're over there in Africa in devil's territory, and we're just playing in the devil's playground and just getting people saved and delivered and healed and all kinds of stuff. Well, the day before we leave, I have a dream. And in the dream, I see myself wrapped in bandages from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I'm in one of those wheelchairs. My legs are broken. My arms are broken. Everything about me is broken. I am barely alive. And somebody's wheeling me in this wheelchair to a banister. And as I look over the banister, I see that we're getting ready to do an event. And I know my marriage is over. I've lost my children. And the ministry's done in this dream. And the Lord is warning me, you over here uh, bringing destruction to the enemy's camp, the enemy's going to backlash and he's getting ready to, to bring some real spiritual attack in your life. So I prayed with my spiritual mom about it. I thought, cool, you know what? We just wrecked Kenya for Jesus. And then come back home and Misty and I start talking about Easter. And we got into the biggest fight that we had ever been in in our entire lives. Because when the, when the devil gets involved in your fight, it gets ugly. And she threw a ring at me and said, get out. We're done. I said, oh, we're done. We'll see who's done. I took the wedding ring. I took a case of water. I booked myself into a hotel. And I fasted and prayed. And I took my wedding ring and I, said, I went before God and I said, God, you showed me on that day the scroll, and you told me this was my wife, and there is no devil in hell that is going to separate me from her. So your prayer life changes because you have a word from God. You know the will of God, and you're not going to let any devil steal anything from you. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy and within 24 hours, the whole thing lifted off us, and everything was back to normal. And you have authority when you get a word from God. And when God says you're going to build a church, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, God will provide it. But what you have to do is stand on the word that He gave you. That's why I say get yourself a journal and write down what God tells you in the secret place, because that becomes your prayer book. Are you with me? And family, we've got to teach you how to fight the good fight of faith. We've got to teach you how to put on your armor and fight the enemy in the spirit and how to take territory. You're not going to, you've got to move out of the place where the devil is attacking you to the point where you say, oh, really? You attacked me all my life. Well, it's now my turn to bring some pain right back to you. The things that you overcome, God gives you authority to go and take territory. Amen. Stand with me this morning. You can overcome the enemy with the word of God.
And I tell you, when you got that word written on the tablet of your heart, you don't just have word, you have revelation. And it carries the Spirit's power behind it. That Holy Ghost power, man, it's good stuff. Amen. So did you get something out of today? Do you understand that you have access? Do you understand that you have to press through all the distractions? Do you understand that if you get to this place, you will get your breakthrough? You don't need any man. You need Jesus. He's your Savior. He's the one that will deliver you. He's the one that will provide for you. He's the one that will give you the wisdom. He's the one that will make the way straight. He's the one that will flatten the mountains that are standing in the way of you fulfilling what God has called you to do. He has the ability to turn everything around. But you have to come to this place and say, God, do surgery on my heart. That's what it's about. It's not just about an encounter. It's not just about getting a word. It's about being transformed into the image of Christ. And this is the place where it happens. If you're in this place today, I said it earlier, the day that you accept Jesus, you have access. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life, then that is the first step. You've got to get him. I want you to close your eyes right where you're standing. And I want to ask you, do you have a relationship with the Lord? Do you believe that Jesus died and God raised him from the dead? And have you made a public declaration of your faith? If you've not received Jesus, if you've never publicly accepted him as Lord, then I want to give you that opportunity today. Because the minute that you answer this invitation, Jesus is going to open a gateway, the path to life, for you to come into the presence of God where you become limitless. And every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms begins to get poured out upon your life. If you're in this place today and you say, you know what, my life is not right with God. I'm going to set it right today and I'm going to press forward from this day on. I want you to raise your hand real quickly and we're going to pray. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Just close your eyes and say this with me. Say this. Say, Lord, today's the day. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. And I believe he died and you raised him from the dead. And today, I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. And Lord Jesus, I surrender my life completely. And I put my life in your hands. I trust you with my life, Lord. I ask you to lead me. I ask you to guide me. I ask you to teach me, transform me, be my God. I renounce every other form of worship, every other God, and I declare that you alone are my God. 